Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm here to talk about a little bit of a phrase that I've heard over the years that's kind of become sort of a pet peeve. And have you ever like been in a bar meeting or talking to somebody else and they say, oh, yeah, well, we're just a startup. And I've heard this from time to time, and I really kind of dislike it because I think for one, for most law firms, it ends up being a limiting belief that prevents you from taking actions that are going to actually move you pretty further. And at best, I think it's an inaccurate model for how most law firms operate. And I also want to get into why you're probably better off running the law firm that you have today, even if you just got started, than most startups, at least statistically on average, whether you realize it or not. So um, let's get into it. So most of the things, and I would say probably nine out of 10 of the times that I've heard this, when people say we're just a startup, that usually is followed by, well, because we're just a startup, we can't pay for XYZ. Whether that's the nice office, whether that's the most qualified employee, whether that's the best service, it's usually used as a reason to not move forward with investing in things. And that is absolutely something that you have to take in consideration if you are in a startup. And I'll kind of get into some of the background on that. But this is something I saw a lot when I was living in New York City. And I lived for a lot of the years. I was in New York from 2014 to right at the end of 2021. So a lot of these direct-to-consumer companies were based out of New York. A lot of the venture capital on the East Coast was directed towards these kind of companies. And I had a lot of friends who worked for those type of companies. And I'm not going to name any names, but a lot of those ended up using this as justification for paying their employees a lot below the market rate. So this is kind of one of those situations. Oh, yeah, sorry, I couldn't really pay you guys. No, it's we're just a small startup, just raised $500 million for our Series C, just a small startup. And again, this does make sense in a lot of models, right? And the thing is, you know, there's not a Webster's dictionary definition for what a startup really means. I think it is kind of a flexible term, but at least I think the fair term that is discussed in pop culture and the media and investing is a situation where you have a company that acquired outside investment. Typically for the employees, there's equity involved as a large component of their compensation and the potential for outsized returns, you know, the 100x in the portfolio for the, the venture capital companies, right? And this absolutely makes sense if you're working at a Facebook or one of the big tech success stories that you see over the years, right? And it is kind of a function of how those companies had to operate because those early employees had to get equity. And most of these people were developers, which are really, really expensive. So they probably passed on a job at Microsoft for you know well into the six figures to take a job at a startup. So yeah, you got to have an equity slice. And that only really makes sense if the company is going to 100x over the next three or five years, right? And a lot of those people made those bets and a lot of those people got really, really rich. And at the same time too, you know, this is kind of a chicken and egg thing with the nature of venture capital because they have to make their investment back. And, you know, if you're going to invest in 10 and one's the hundred X, blah, blah, blah. I also do kind of think this is a cycle. That's probably the uh, discussion for another podcast, but you know, some of the terms that are put forth by venture capital influence how a lot of these companies scaled. 
And by and large, honestly, going back to that D to C stuff, I think this model works really, really well for tech because tech has a marginal cost of zero. Didn't work super well for a lot of the D to C companies. And I'll, I'll tell you, it hasn't worked out pretty well for a lot of the service-based businesses, which is probably close to what your law firm is, right? So, and again, just to reiterate, like it doesn't matter uh, how often you watch Shark Tank. Uh, I don't know how, how many times you've watched the social network. Your law firm is probably not a tech-based startup, right? Unless you have some sort of a, a really cool tech play, but that's outside of the bounds of most regular practices that I've spoken to. Super, super rare. I would say conservatively 99.9% .9 of the law, <laughs> maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but 99.9% .9 of the law firms I speak to at least are you know what we consider as service businesses. And service businesses don't scale like tech companies. But in my opinion, I actually think that service businesses scale better, especially if you're not looking to get outside investors. So if you think about it, if you had the choice, and again, everyone likes to point to the success stories. There's a lot of survivorship bias in the world of reporting when it comes to tech investors. But you know, your average tech company that doesn't happen to be Facebook or your average successful service business, it's probably better and a lot more likely to have success. Maybe not 100 to 1 success, but success nonetheless with the business that you're running right now as a law firm, right? So you don't have to have investors. There's not a huge upfront cost like you would have to do with developer talent and, and you know, code base and all this investment in technology like you would if you had a startup. So there's way lower upfront cost, especially these days. You know, it's not even necessary that you have an, an office or hire employees or even hire US employees if that's something you want to do. It's way, way lower upfront costs. And provided you know how to ask for them, which I'll get into in a little bit, there's very, very high margins built in with running a law firm, right? There's situations, and you can look at some of the success stories from the people that have come on from our Law Firm 500 series over the years. Um, people are charging premium rates the day they open their law firm, right? And that's something that's available to everyone. And if you think about the situation where you know the years that ended up passing by before Facebook was able to collect its first dollar in ad revenue were insane. And the amount of money that was sunk in that is, is insane. So you really honestly wouldn't want to start the next Facebook. It was an option that was there. And again, statistically, there were a lot of non-Facebooks that ended up losing a lot of money outside of that, right? So again, assuming that you don't have outside investors, and again, just given bar rules, that's not even something that could be feasible. It's like, that's not the kind of business that you're running, right? So what happens when you have the belief that you're a startup when you're actually running a service business? And kind of going back to the beginning, I think the big risk of that mindset is you're limiting yourself on opportunities. So the thought that I'm a startup, I can't afford it, will potentially be, you know, knowingly or unknowingly screwing your employees out of, uh, you know, a, a proper salary or limiting your options to hire top talent. And this is in-house, out-of-house, uh, you know, service providers, that kind of things. If you're limiting your budget, you might be in a situation where, you're spending a little and getting nothing instead of spending a little bit and getting something, right? A lot of, and this is uh, something I didn't talk about too much, but basically there's this whole belief of the hockey stick return of the startup, right? So you're just going to toil and toil and not make any money, but at some point that hockey stick's going to kick up and you are going to be rolling in it, baby. And in the instance when you have a tech startup, you actually can't start charging and making a lot of money until you, you more or less have a monopoly set up, right? I know anyone who's advertising on Facebook feels this pain, but you know we're seeing costs increase year over year, and we can't really do anything about it because where else are you going to advertise, right? But basically, that's because they made themselves the only game in town. They started raising rates, and it's not this isn't you know it's on a market too, so it's not the situation that they're going ahead and setting the prices. But 
it was prohibitively expensive to expand Facebook or to spend on Facebook back in the day, you wouldn't have as many advertisers as you have today. On the flip side, if you take that mentality, and this is actually something that I see again, I don't know if everyone has this because they think they're a startup, but this whole, the term of this in, in a lot of uh, like, you know, business school education is penetration pricing. You start low and you raise prices over time. Well, guess what? If you do that in a law firm, you're going to end up stunting your growth tremendously because you, you're going to be basically taking the strength of the model, which is having cash up front and being able to charge high margins. And you're essentially locking yourself out from that. Right. So basically, that's kind of the situation. I, you know, if you're thinking you're along startup terms, you're going to really, really limit yourself in terms of what you can have as far as upside in your business overall. Right. So to contrast to like, you know, this is one of those situations, every single business model has pros and cons. There's, there's absolutely pros to startups, right? I mean, I wouldn't personally want to start one. And I think if people really thought about it, they probably wouldn't either. But at the same time, there's people who probably are looking at your law firm and maybe there are even people that are you know, starting startups that realize, damn, I really wish I could have a lucrative business that I could have high profit margins, collect cash on day one. There's a ton of business owners who would kill to have the opportunities that you have as a law firm owner, provided you know what those are and you know how to take advantage of them. So the cool thing about not having investors is that you essentially have, and this is a term that gets thrown around in like startup land, but client finance, right? Which is kind of funny because that's kind of, you know, I think that model dates back to, you know, when the first guy sold a, like a bushel of grain in uh, BC or something like that, right? Your clients will finance you with the capital that you need to expand your business, provided you know how to hang on to it, provided you know how to charge enough, right? There is absolutely margins there, right? Again, as long as you're not doing things like, you know, leaning into a penetration pricing model that may or may not ever take off. You're able to charge in most jurisdictions hundreds of dollars per hour for your services and more if you want to be clever and end up packaging it. And even more if you do the stuff that we recommend in this podcast all the time, like niching down and that kind of things and eventually developing skill sets that truly are unique and brand positioning the services specific markets in a way that you can't be competed against, right? But at the end of the day, right, these are things that only become available to you as long as you're playing your game. You can scale super fast with this stuff. And I really implore you guys to listen Almost every other week, we have successful law firm owners that have done the same thing. Listen to those stories. This is absolutely possible for you. Just you know, know what you're doing, right? So again, but like, like I said, know what you're doing. Don't watch the startup documentaries and feel like you're losing because your law firm isn't worth uh, you know, a billion dollars after your first year. You have to think about how you're measuring your success and also try to think about how you might be limiting yourself. This is just one example, but you have to compare your progress to the model that you're on. You know, Don't try to run someone else's race. So I'll leave you guys with that. For everybody else, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.